Chapter 37 of The Grey Man. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jeremiah Sutherland, Victoria, British Columbia. The Grey Man by S.R. Crockett. Chapter 37 The Voice Out of the Night. Now, so long as provisions last, Ailsa is none such a bad sanctuary and we might have passed the time there very well had we possessed minds sufficiently at ease for enjoying such a hermitage the spring was but a few yards above the castle and it ran crystal clear into a little basin which i cut in the rock we had enough victual to serve us for a month with the provision we had bought in girvan and with what i shot of the puffins or tammy norries which ran in and out of their holes all day like conies in a warren sometimes we would climb to the top of the crag and look long at the sea from which there seemed like a great sheet hung upon Cantyre and Arran on the one side, and upon the hills of Galloway and Carrick on the other, with Elza itself, on which we were sitting, in the deepest trough of it. A few boats crept timidly about the shore, and a little ship sometimes passed by. But otherwise we had for companions only the silly guillemots that cooped their tails uppermost and dived under, the fishing gulls that dropped splash into the water, and the solemn or solemn geese which, when they fell, made a bigger plunge than any, even as on the cliffs of the island their keckling and crying are the loudest. One day the Dominie and I were sitting on the roof of all things, as the summit of Ailsa seemed to be, picking at the grasses and knuckling little stones for the idlest which comes with summer weather, when it came in my head to rally Robert Muir, because he had a cold hearthstone and a half-empty bed. You, a burgess and a learned man, with an official rent and a yearly charge on the burg, yet cannot get so much as a cotter's sunsy bit last to keep you company, and to sit canty like Jenny and Jock on the far side of the chimbley lug. Think shame of yourself, Dominie. Any questing lout that can persuade a tow-headed maul of the buyer to set up house with him deserves better of his country than you. Were all of your mind, Mabel school might have none to attend it but daughters and grandmothers. And where were your craft then, Socrates? I asked him for just before he had been speaking to me of a certain wise man, a Greek of that name. And at first he made a jest of the matter, as indeed I meant it. Never fear, he said, there will always be enough fools in Ayrshire to get more. Maybole shall have its share of these. And indeed that hath been the repute of our town and countryside ever since air water first ran over its pebbles. Yet when I pressed the dominie further upon the matter, he waxed thoughtful, his face, which was not naturally merry, took on a still sterner expression. Presently he put his hand within his blouse and pulled out a little string of beads, such as Catholics wear, to mind them of their prayers. It was suspended about his neck. This, I own, was a great marvel to me, for the Dominie was a strong reformer, and showed little mercy in arguing with men still inclined to the ancient opinion. He gave the brown rosary into my hand, and I turned it curiously about. It was made of the stones of some foreign fruit, most quaintly and fantastically carven, and joined together with little links of gold. Between two of the beads there was a longer portion of the chain, and upon it two rings of gold were strung. Once, said the dominie, there was a maid who had promised to share my hearth. One ring of these two was mine to wear upon my finger, and one was hers. Upon the night before our marriage day we met at our place of tryst, I tried the ring upon her finger and wished her to wear it that night. Tomorrow will serve, it is not so far away, she said, and slipped from my arms. Under a new risen moon she went homeward, singing by the heads of Benane. 
and that was the last that these eyes ever beheld of bonnie mary torrance same only this necklace of beads which she wore and the stain of her blood upon the short grass of the seashore the dominie looked long to seaward at the flashing birds that circled and clanged about our rocky isle each tribe of them following its own orbit and keeping to its own airy sphere and what happened to her i began but got no further murder most foul he cried rising to his feet in his agitation horrible unheard of in any kingdom for all about the spot where these things were found was the trampling of many naked feet and some of these were small and some were great but all were naked and the print of every foot was plain upon the sand of the shore each footprint had the toes of the bare feet wide and distinct every toe was pointed with a claw as though the steads were those of birds and the fearsome beast prints went down to the sea edge and the blood marks followed them and that was all then the dominie fell silent and i also for though ayrshire was full of blood feuds and the quest of human life this was a new kind of murder to me though by all accounts it seemed not rare in the neighbourhood of benane for i minded the warning words of the mistress of chapel donnan and had she no enemies this mary torrance i asked she was but young and of birth too lowly for feuds and fightings besides who in carrick would harm a maid going homeward from her love tryst the dominie rose and walked away to the other side of the rock of ailsa where for long he sat by himself and fingered the necklace of beads his face was fixed as if he were making of the rosary a very catania of hate a receptacle of dark imaginings and vengeful vows scarcely could i recognize my quaint and friendly dominie it was that night as the blackness grew grey towards the morn that i yielded my watch upon the roof of the little castle of ailsa to the dominie too long i had paced the battlements listening to the confused and belated yawping and crying of the sea-birds upon the ledges and to the mysterious night sounds of the isle for I began to hear and to see all manner of uncouth things that have no existence except on the borderlands of sleep. The dominie said no word, good or bad, but drew his cloak about him and sat down on the rampart. I bade him good morning, but he never answered me a word, and so I left him, for I judged that his thought was bitter, and that the tale he had told me of Mary Torrance lay blackly upon him. Yet when I went below it was not with me as on other mornings, I lay down upon the plaids and composed me to sleep. Yet I remained broad awake, which was an unaccountable thing for me, who have been all my life a great sleeper. I lay and thought of my friend, sitting gloomy and silent above in the greyness of morn, till my own meditations grew eerie and comfortless. Often and often I started upon my elbow with the intention of going to him. As often I lay down again, because I had no excuse, and also, as it seemed to me, he had not desired my company. But once, as I lifted me up on my elbow, I seemed to hear a shrill crying, as it had been out of the sea. Launcelot, Launcelot Kennedy, it said. And the crying was most like a woman's voice. My very blood chilled within me, for the tale of the lass murdered upon the morn of her marriage day was yet in my mind. And I thought of not less than that her uneasy spirit was now come to visit the man, aged and withered, who sat up there waiting and watching for her coming yet why it should cry my name passed my comprehension it was therefore small wonder that i listened long lying there among the plaids upon the floor but the night wind soft and sobbed through the narrow wicket window and there was no further noise thinking that i had dreamed i laid my head upon the hard pillow and composed me to sleep but even then i caught as it had been the regular beat of a boat's oars upon the rullocks and anon i heard my name cried twice and thrice 
Launcelot Kennedy! Launcelot Kennedy! Launcelot Kennedy! Whereat, with a thrill of horror, I rose, cast the wrappings from me, and with my naked sword in my hand I went up to the roof of the castle. The dominie was sitting with his face turned seaward. He heard me come behind him. Without turning, he put out his hand. Did you hear it too, he said? Go below. That which shall come is not for your eyes to see. But I heard a woman call my name, I said. I heard it twice and thrice, plain as I hear you speak. Nay, he said, not your name. Mine. And once more we listened together. As for me, I strained my eyes into the darkness, so that they ached and were ready to behold anything. I gazed out directly towards the sea from which the sounds had come, but the dominie looked along the path which led precariously between the wall of the isle above and the precipice below. Thus we watched as it seemed for hours and hours. Suddenly I heard him draw in his breath with a gasping sound, like that which a man gives when he finds himself unexpectedly in ice-cold water. The twilight of the morning had come a little, and as I looked over his shoulder, lo, there seemed to me as it had been a maid in white coming along the path. I felt my heart stop beating, and I too gazed rigidly, for it seemed to me to be Nell Kennedy, coming towards us, robed like an angel. She is dead, I thought. Mayhap the clawed things out of the sea have devoured her, even as they took Mary Torrance. But I heard the dominie say under his breath, It is she, it is she. For in the moment of terror, when the soul is unmanned, every one hears with his own ears and sees with his own eyes, according to his own heart's fantasy. But the figure came ever closer to us, stepping daintily and surely in the dim light. Again I heard the voice which had spoken to me from the sea, and at the sound my very bones quaked within me. Launcelot, Launcelot Kennedy, it said. And for a long moment the figure stood still as if waiting for an answer but my voice was shut dumbly within me. The dominie stood up. Art thou the spirit of Mary Torrance, or a deceiving fiend of hell that has taken her shape? Answer me, or I fire. And the dominie held out his pistol to the white-sheeted ghost, which even then appeared to me a mightily vain thing, for how can a spirit fear these things which are only deadly to flesh and bone? I have come to see Launcelot Kennedy, answered the voice, and it appeared awful and terrible to me beyond the power of words. I could not so much as fix my mind on a prayer, though I knew several well enough. I have come to seek Launce Kennedy. Is he within? said the voice. What would you with him? He is no concern of yours, said the dominie. I ken that, said the voice. Nevertheless, I have come to seek him. I greet you well, dominie Muir. Will you open and let Helen Kennedy within? And with that the light came clearer. The veil of the fantasies of that fearful night fell like a loosened bandage from my eyes. And lo, there at the tower's foot was my dear quipsome lass Nell Kennedy, in her own proper body, and I knew her for good sound flesh and blood. Nor could I now tell how I had so deceived myself, but one thing I resolved, that I should not reveal my terror to her, for very certainly she would laugh at me. But the dominie was too firmly fixed in his thought, I saw him grip his pistol and lean over the parapet. It seemed that he could not even believe the seeing of his eyes. Come not nearer, he cried in a wild voice, for well do I know that you are a fiend of the breed of the sea demons, whatsoever you may pretend. I will try a bullet of holy silver upon you. But I threw myself upon him and held his arm. It is but our own Nell Kennedy, I said. What frights you, Dominie? For I resolved to make a virtue of my courage, 
and indeed, as I came to myself first, and had done no open foolishness, I thought I might as well take all the credit which was due to me. See you not that it is only Helen Kennedy of Coulain? I repeated, reasoning with him. And what seeks she with you, said he, still struggling in my grasp? I tell you, it is a prodigy, and bodes us no good, he persisted. That I cannot tell, said I. I had thought her safe upon the moors with my mother, but I will go down and open the door to her. So when I had run down the stairs of the small keep, and set the bolt wide, lo, there upon the step was Nell Kennedy, her face dimpled with smiles, albeit somewhat pale also with the morning light and the strangeness of her adventure. I held out my hand to her. Never had I been so moved with any meeting. Nell, I said, and could say no more. Ay, Launce, just Nell, she said. And she came in without taking my hand. But for all that she was not abashed, nor shamefaced but she remained as direct and simple in her demeanour as she had been about Coulain in the old days before sorrow fell upon the house, and indeed upon us all. "'Take me up the stairs to the Dominie,' she said, and I took her hand and kept it tightly as we went upwards. But I tried after no greater favours at that time, for I knew that her mood leaned not towards the desires of a lover. "'Ah, Dominie,' said Nell, when she reached the top, "'this Ailsa is a strange place to keep school in.' Yet I warrant you that geese are not more numerous here than they were in Maybole. But the Dominie could only gaze at her, thus daffing with him, so fixed had he been in his fantasy. Then when he was somewhat come to himself, we waited expectantly for Nell to reveal her errand and to relate her adventure, and she did not keep us long waiting. You must instantly leave Elza and come back with me, she said. My sister Marjorie is lost from Auchendrain, and we three must find her. I fear that the Muirs have done her a mischief, being afraid of the things that she might reveal. How knew you of that, Nelly? I asked, for indeed it was a thing I could make no guess at myself. It was one morning at Kiriok, said Nell, as we were bringing in the Kai out of the green pastures by the waterside, that a messenger rode up with a letter from Marjorie. She asked me to meet her at Coulain, and to bring you and any other faithful men whom I could trust along with me. And thus the letter ended, for gin I once win clear out of Auchendrain, we have them all in the hollow of our hand, I have found him that carried the letter. She means the letter to John Muir that took your father to the tryst of death, I said. The dominie seemed to awake at the words. That will be young William Dalrymple she has fallen on with, he cried, in much excitement. I rose and hastened down to put our belongings together, which were scattered about the castle. As soon as I returned, Nell went on with her tale. Then, because I knew not where you were, she said, I was in much distress. But your father donned his war-grate, and rode with me to the house of Coulain, where he yet abides. As for me, I could no ways rest, so I set myself to trace you, and here I have found you. Pray God we may find our Marjorie as safely. But how did you manage to trace us, I asked, for the Dominie and I thought that we had well hidden our tracks. Oh, I got the kindly side of the good wife of Chapel Donan, said Nell lightly. And when I heard that, I did not wonder any more, for she could get the kindly side of any one, if so she chose, because Nell Kennedy, in spite of her taunting and teasing, had ever a coaxing, winsome way with her which was vastly taking. Then we fell to making our plans. It would not do for us to be seen leaving the crag by day, for our position was plainly in view of keen eyes all along the Girvan shore, and at Chapel Donnan or Girvan Mains as well and worse enemies than these might put out a dozen boats to intercept us, or simply lie in wait to take us as we landed. 
Besides, all this day and part of the night there befell a storm which lashed the waves to white foam about our abode. With more than a woman's ordinary forethought in adventure, Nell had left her boat in a cove to the right of the landing-place, and indeed I, that somewhat prided myself upon my wisdom, had not taken as great precautions myself, which, among other things, was the cause of our present position on the crag. So we three spent all day in cheerful talk, thinking that so soon as we could find Marjorie, we should come to the end of our perplexities and have the guilty in our power. But in this we spoke without knowledge of the manifold shifts and stratagems of our arch-enemy. End of chapter 37